Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You Podcast. This is Season 5, Episode Two, and we're coming to you today, mostly, COVID has us separated still, but mostly from Colorado Springs, home of kickboxer and wrestler Bob the Beast Sap. I've never heard of him, but I love his name. <laughs> Bob the Beast. I want to be Terry the Beast Smith, and I am the church ministries leader for the Alliance. Uh, I can't come up with a nickname for myself that quickly, but I am, uh, I'll just be Alan, the adventurer Rathbun, director of multiplication in Eastern PA. Cause I am a seven as uh, Caitlin and I often discuss, discuss, and I do like adventures. So that's what I will be today for your sake, Terry. And our trusty producer, Caitlin is here. How are you today, Caitlin? I'm good. Glad to be here as always. Good to have you here. We love having you here. And uh, today we're going to be uh, interviewing Bill Allison, who is uh, the leader of something called Cadre Missionaries. And uh, Alan, you've uh, read some of uh, Bill's stuff. So uh, what, what do we have to look forward to? Well, we're looking at intentional disciple-making friendships uh, and, and multi-generational which is so important as well. But I mean, I, I think Caitlin said it when we were off, uh, off air, you know, his simple passion is contagious. Uh, and I am looking forward to that being shared and it's, and it's refreshing because it's simple. Of course we know nothing is easy <laughs> just because it's simple, but it is simple and our hearts long for simplicity. Mm-hmm. And I think that, uh, our people are going to be really encouraged. Our listeners are going to be encouraged by the simplicity, but yet, depth and wisdom of what Bill uh, is going to talk about with us. So we're going to love this conversation. Yeah. Uh, About disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, dot, dot, dot. So ad infinitum. Grab yourself a frost top root beer from a drive-in root beer stand in Huntington, West Virginia. I'm saying that specifically for our most faithful listener, Spence Sweeting, because he says, when we say grab yourself a certain drink, he stops the podcast and goes and gets <laughs> one. So, Spence, I want to say to you today, have a nice trip, my friend. <laughs> Best root beer I've ever had in my life. Sit back, relax. Here we go. Hey, Equipping You friends, it's Caitlin here, and I want to tell you about something super special that we have launched here at Equipping You that's just for you, and we think you're really going to love it. If you're an avid Equipping You listener, an Equipping You live attender, or both, you need to join our Facebook group called Equipping You Community. We love that on the podcast and at Equipping You Live, we get to empower you in your ministries. But we believe that for you to really see the true transformation of your leadership that you want, applying what you learn in community is key. So pause this episode right now and head over to facebook.com slash groups slash equipping you community. Or you can go to equippingyou.com and scroll all the way to the bottom and click on equipping you community. 
we can't wait to see you there. Hey, well, welcome to the podcast, Bill. We're excited to have you. It's great to be with you. So uh, we always like to have our guests get a chance to know uh, our listeners, get to know our guests. So give us a snapshot of your life, uh, your family, and a little bit of your ministry journey. I come from a completely non-Christian background, and uh, my mom and dad divorced when I was three. I was second generation housing project and, uh, in an already economically depressed town. And uh, my mom uh, had two of us, and, and when she divorced, she ended up going to work at a tavern. And so she was a bartender there. And uh, one of her bartending friends um, got uh, heard the gospel from her sister, and uh, immediately she quit the tavern and she began to chase my mom at our at our apartment and just would never give up on my mom. We used to close the door and and to pull the shades when she pulled into the parking lot and and she would knock on the door with her Bible and my mom was we'd all hide you know and it happened over and over again. One day she got to the door at our little apartment in the projects before we could uh, close it. And uh, my mom let her in, and they all sat down at the table. And and uh, I like to say the smoking evangelist, because she'd only been saved about two weeks. The smoking evangelist shared the gospel with my mom, and she received Jesus Christ as her yeah, Savior. Wow. That's, that's uh, beautiful. And, and to say that that changed the whole world for us uh, would be an understatement of the world. Mm. For us. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, now you lead uh, cadre uh, missionaries. So what? tell us about that ministry journey and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, it's a group of disciple-making friends that come alongside churches and ministries, especially uh, volunteers and vocational leaders who uh, are interested in living a disciple-making way of life with their friends. And uh, and we think that's how the, the, the smaller part of it is uh, oikos. It's what the Greek word in, in the New Testament is, house to house, person to person, family to family, friend to friend, neighbor to neighbor. It's that simple. Uh, it ha- that's how God changes the world. Uh, I'm all for the big programs and big events, but really it's person to person. Uh, it's oikos. It's, it's, that's how God does it. And so that's where we kind of stay. Mm-hmm. So, Bill, uh, thinking about person to person, wondering who were perhaps some influential leaders in your early development as a leader. Yeah, so um, my mom started, I mean, the most changed woman in the world I've ever known, and according to my stepfather, my mom, she started taking us to church. I would have none of it. I thought it was the most boring place ever. Uh, so my mom saw that I was not really receiving much of what she was saying, so she prayed for me. And, uh, and I was in school as a freshman in high school, and two guys were standing up for their faith in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And I already knew that Jesus was real. I just didn't want to believe in him at that point. But when I saw two guys my age carrying their Bibles, loving people, standing up for Christ, that seeing, seeing that was so compelling, I went home and received Christ as my Savior. Wow. And uh, I told my mom, I want to go to church now. I want to go to church now. Yeah. And at wow. church, I heard about that first time I went to church with my mom after that, I was 15 and I heard a thing called youth group announced from the pulpit. And so I said, I don't know what that is, but it sounds like I need to be there. And so my mom dropped me off Sunday night in the church basement, and uh, I walked in, and it was this—it was an out-of-body experience because it was all these Christian kids from church, and uh, they didn't know what to do with me. I'm pretty sure I was a hippie back then. I had a lot of hair back then. I'd like to have that hair now, yeah. but uh, <laughs> that hair's long gone. So would Terry. Uh, yeah, but I had a lot of hair. I walked in, and and uh, this was like in the 70s, you know, late 70s. And uh, 
this guy walked up to me. And I was so grateful because I almost left because nobody said a word to me. It was so awkward. And he walked up to me and he said, hey, man, just like a hippie would. Uh, And he, he was I was probably 15 and he was probably 27 at the time. He goes, what's your name? Finally, somebody was talking to me and I go, my name's Bill. And he said, my name's Bob what do you like to do, Bill? And I said, baseball, basketball, and football. I'm a jock. That's pretty much what I do. It keeps me out of trouble. And he said, have you ever played tennis? And I said, no, in the projects, we don't have a tennis court. (laughs) But he said, I'd like to play you Tuesday at 3.30. And that was the first time in my my life I ever being remembered, uh, being pursued by a, a man who loved Jesus who wanted to come alongside me and help me in my spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. And it has changed my life. His name is Bob Oldenburg. We're still friends to this day. Yeah. So Bob basically pulled me close, but he didn't say that this is really important. Bob didn't say, I'm going to disciple you. Mm-hmm. He did what I love to refer to as download, download disciple making. He basically said, let's be friends. Let's do stuff you want to do. And while I'm with you, I'm going to show you how to follow Jesus. And that's exactly what happened. I am forever indebted to Bob Oldenburg. The kids in the youth group called him Holy Oli. And I'm a result of a bartender who shared the gospel and an ex-hippie who dropped out of school and became a youth leader. That's, that's my whole background right there. That's fantastic. I love it. I love it. So encouraging. Um, and it's great you guys are still friends today. That's beautiful. Oh, my goodness. We talked last week. and uh, And... When, when this whole, uh, we get out of this COVID time, you know, he and I go out for a lot of pizzas and he spent most of, well, another way that he would actually spend time with me is, hey, you want to go see a Christian concert? Because he, I had a bunch of Kiss albums and Zeppelin and all that stuff. And he didn't say I shouldn't listen to that stuff, but he basically said, let me show you a resurrection band. He showed me all yes. these Christian rock bands from the old days. And uh, basically without him telling me, I went home and burned all those albums. Wow. <laughs> and uh, remember those times? And I said, I'm in for Jesus all the way. That's and, fantastic. Uh, so Bob used all that traveling time, put me in the car, and he used all that traveling time uh, to help me learn how to pray, give me a love for the reading of scripture. That was Bob Oldenburg's mark in my life. Mm. Wow. That's beautiful stuff, man. That is great. I can see wow, that has overflowed into your passion. Yeah. So in your book, which I really enjoyed reading, uh, The Disciple-Making Genius of Jesus, uh, you said that there was a question that kept you up at night. Tell us about that question and, and how it's shaped your life. Well, let me say this about questions. The older I get, the more I, the, the more I understand that uh, ministry isn't about making statements. It's about asking the right questions. Because if we ask the wrong questions, we'll spend all of our time solving the wrong problems. So my, my uh, passion is for the right questions. And this is the one that's kept me up. Uh, for at least the last 15 years of my life. What does first century Jesus-like disciple-making look like in a 21st century Western world? And I think that really is the right question. Um, because um, if, we, if we do any kind of disciple-making that doesn't smell, taste, and feel like Jesus, I question it. It feels weird to me. And that kind of disciple-making usually might work in a current culture but Jesus' disciple-making way of life works in all cultures. That's why we're here 2,000 years later talking about it. So in order to answer that question, 
This is my favorite question. This is what I do with a bunch of guys every year. And now we're doing it with a women's disciple making learning community in the area. Uh, we wrestle that question relentlessly by studying the life of Jesus. And, uh, and so it's been so much fun to keep coming back to kind of a Christocentric approach to, to a disciple making. Because if it doesn't, again, if it's not Jesus-like, then I question it. So, Bill, uh, we already mentioned Cadre Missionaries. That is your organization that you founded. Uh, tell us how that got started, kind of what God's call on your life was to move in that direction, and uh, explain the name to us. Yeah, Cadre is a small group of people who are equipped to equip other small groups of people who are equipped <laughs> to equip others. Uh, what we like to say in the Latin is ad infinitum, or I ad infinitum, the idea of over and over and over again to the whole world knows. It's oikos. It's like we talked about earlier. So um, our ministry uh, purposely doesn't have any buildings. It purposely doesn't have a lot of staff. Uh, we could care less about cadre in terms of building cadre. Uh, cadre exists for the local church. Cadre exists to come alongside and, and pass on a simple way of life that I actually believe already exists in every church. That's beautiful. That's good stuff. So when you do uh, show your desire to come alongside a local church, and I think you do that by keeping, one of the ways you do that is keeping disciple making very simple. Yeah. Uh, of course, simple doesn't mean easy. <laughs> oh. uh, but uh, why do you think intentional disciple making is so uncommon in our churches? Well, I, I think what happens a lot is, to be honest with you, is we get, uh, there's a new sexy thing coming down the pike for churches almost every six months, mm. maybe even less. And, uh, hey, look over here, something shiny and cool and sexy over here. And, oh, wait a minute, now it's over this way, and now we're doing this. And uh, it just doesn't get much play. Disciple-making like Jesus doesn't get much play because it's just too darned unsexy. And, uh, and so I love my, my, some of my favorite verses are Hebrews 13. And I think it's five and six. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The next verse says, uh, don't be attracted to strange and new ideas. <laughs> There's a lot of strange and new ideas out there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I'm like, just going to stay on Jesus. And so I think a lot of times I had a friend of mine who's been in ministry. He's a dear friend of mine. And he still is, by the way. Um, he just said, when is cadre going to do something new? And I said, never, we're never going to do anything. Um, And if we do, you should fire us. You should, you know, you should never, because uh, we might, we're always going to go back to 2000 years ago where Jesus showed us how to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And then the last thing I heard from Jesus was make disciples. So until I hear something new, we're going to stay here. So I think, I think, uh, I think, uh, anything new and shiny, and and some of those things are actually pretty nice and good too. I'm not I'm not saying all those things are bad, but I think good is the worst enemy of best. Mm, truth, absolutely. Could there be other reasons you think that are keeping churches from not pursuing intentional disciple making? I, I think, by the way, we talked about the importance of good questions. That's such a good question. <laughs> I think. All of us, have, if you have any kind of formal training in ministry, we've all been trained to preach, which I love. And I, even not, I'm not a pastor, I'm a missionary, but I actually preach more than the average pastor because I get invited to churches and stuff. So I value preaching. So we, we train people to preach. We train people to do, you know, organize and, and do a lot of administration. All that is necessary and critical to ministry. However, 
we don't train people to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And I, uh, that's another reason why we're, we're in the condition we are. Mm-hmm. You know, I, if I thought, if you, look at, uh, if you look at what's happening right now in America, uh, not necessarily overseas, Oh my goodness! Overseas, we need we we should be learning from what's happening in China, North Korea, Iran. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could name Latin America. I mean, we we there's a, there's something America needs to learn from that. But we're so busy giving them what we think is uh, is what they need. And to be honest with you, what's fascinating to me in America right now, to me, and I don't know if you agree with this, but it feels like uh, paganism is displacing Christianity. In current culture, mm. and I think we could tease that out in a lot of ways. But ironically, in the first three hundred years of church history, the church that Jesus started uh, had no politicians, that had no money, it really didn't have any buildings to speak of in terms of organization. But it did have a bunch of disciples who made disciples who made disciples. And in the first three hundred years, Christianity began to displace paganism. So yeah. I, I mm. think. I think we need to get back to a very Christocentric uh, disciple making uh, that is a way of life, not a program, not a workshop, but it starts right where we live, includes our family, our neighborhood, and goes to all the world. It has to do all of those things because that's what happened in the first century, mm-hmm. first 300 years of the church. Um, I think our president would uh, give a hearty amen to that. Yeah. So, uh, Give me a choice of uh, pastoring a, a hip church filled with all young people or one that may not be quite so hip, but it has all generations, young, old, and in between. I'll take the second. Thank you very much. Amen. Uh, I love uh, intergenerational uh, mm. ministry. So what makes disciple making important for all the generations in the church, Bill? Yeah, well, I think we're seeing that now. If all we do is church a generation, then we're going to lose this battle in one generation. Um, on my blog, cupofjoewithbill.com, a cup ojo with bill.com, the, the current blog post is when disciple making stops. So if all we do is gather followers, and, and so part of this uh, begs this question, what are we going to call success in church and ministry? Mm-hmm. And if it's whoever gathers the most uh, church attenders gets to be celebrity and, and win, then maybe maybe we've got the wrong we've got the wrong uh, definition of success. And here's what I would say to every pastor and every ministry leader out there: instead of a, instead of counting attendance, instead of counting attendance this week, I'd like you to try to count disciple makers. Mm. How many disciple makers do you see out within your attendance? Because in one generation, we could actually lose all of our influence, and I think that's what we're seeing. But if you help the next generation be disciples who make disciples and help them do it three generations, if it goes three generations, if we only go two generations, it dies. Mm-hmm. But if it goes three generations, it continues to multiply. And that's what I think ad infinitum means till, till Jesus comes back. And I think, we've, I think we're in love with addition in our current uh, mm. mode of ministry, but not so much uh, understanding how to engage multiplication. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one of the things we talk about in our area here of the world, uh, in our district is that the gospel is a fruit bearing seed and seeds multiply. 
So it seems like since we all have that seed in us as believers, that it should be normal for us to be multiplying. Yeah. Uh, so we're, I guess you could say we're working against what's normal, <laughs> which is a uh, crazy stuff to think about. Sure. Um, so when you, you know, I love, I love how you have a, an anti-formula formula in your, uh, in your <laughs> book. Let's call like, it an equation. Yeah. So call it an equation. All right. I like that. An equation. That's good. You know, uh, cause no, we've said it before. It is simple, not easy all the time, and, and definitely messy, as you talk about in the book. Break down that uh, the elements of your equation for disciple making friendships for us. So listeners. let's talk about simplicity real quick before we do that. Yeah, um, simplicity isn't really in vogue in current uh, ministry. We love the something that's cool and complex. Uh, we tend to make the simple complex. The more educated we are, by the way, I have eight years of post high school, so I understand this whole concept. Right? We're going to take something simple and make it complex, and it's going to sound cool, and and uh, we'll have all of alliteration and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I'm not against all that stuff. I spent a good deal of my time working on all that stuff. Uh, but the the crazy thing about all that stuff is, the more complex it is, the less it multiplies. The more simple it is, the easier it multiplies. In other words. If we can do this in Goofy Ridge, which is about 30 minutes from my house, it's the biggest meth town in central Illinois, and it's like going back to the 1970s, uh, let me tell you. Right now, I have some young guys that I'm working with there and young girls working there uh, that were pulled in disciple-making learning communities. They're actually making disciples who make disciples there. It's got to be simple. Everything's got to be simple. And uh, Jesus, good news, Jesus, like you said, Jesus gave us a simple way of life that is very multipliable and Jesus makes all that happen. So I, I want I want to just say none of this, none of the weight of this is on us. Jesus is already doing this stuff. We either decide to join him or not. And uh, but it's already happening in every gospel preaching church. Uh, but because we have kind of a leadership glasses on, we don't see the oikos type of disciple making that is happening. So the first thing I get from Jesus the disciple-making genius of Jesus is that it's very incarnational. You know, Jesus existed in eternity past, I believe, because he's fully God and fully human. When Jesus steps into a time uh, 2,000 years ago, we get to see what he does. One of the first things he does is when, when John the Baptist's disciples approach him, now this is all chronologically, when John, when John the Baptist's disciples in John chapter 1 approach him, they said, you know, Rabbi, where are you staying? He says, come and see. And, uh, and they spend the day together. It's not long after that, Jesus moves to Capernaum from Nazareth. Why? Because that's where those fishermen are who showed an interest in him. So what do we learn from Jesus? John three twenty two. Jesus went out into a Judean countryside where he spent some time with them. That's the disciple-making genius of Jesus. Holy, holy, getting me in a car, taking me to a concert, playing tennis with me, that's where disciple-making happens. Um, these, all, of, all of the things that we do together are really, if you, if you look through Jesus, all the things that we do together, uh, and I like programs, because they're the excuse to get time together with Jesus. And so those three things happen. Me, you, and Jesus have to be active. So I don't know how you make disciples. We get, I get all kinds of people asking me, do you have a you know, video that can help us with disciple. You know, videos don't make disciples. Oh, I, I wrote this book. Oh, well, that book will never make disciples. Uh, it takes disciples 
to make disciples. And so that requires a relationship. I don't know how to expedite or do it more efficiently. In fact, I question anything that's efficient because it's usually not effective. Well, <laughs> well that's a powerful statement of itself. It challenging word. So, Bill, what's a cavana? Yes. And Kavanaugh. what are the four intentionalities you argue that are necessary for disciple-making friendships? So let's start with that question. What does Jesus-like disciple-making look like in a 21st century world, right? What does first century Jesus-like disciple-making? So one of the things we spent the last decade or more uh, studying is uh, the Jewishness of Jesus, right? Jesus was a Jew. And uh, it turns out Jewish people are really into disciple-making, starting with Deuteronomy 6, where, where Moses commands them, you know, you're supposed to, as you walk, sit, and lie, right? You're supposed to talk about these things with your children and your children's children's three generations there, right? So disciple-making isn't something Jesus invented. It's something that Jews had in their history and in their culture. And, uh, and so 400 years before Jesus, the rabbis were having a conversation, and it had, had uh, you know, of course, a, a good rabbi ask right questions, because I want to say this again, if we ask the wrong questions, like what's the best practices out there? That's a good question, but it might not be the right question. If we ask the, if we ask the wrong questions, we're always going to solve the wrong problems. So let's figure out the right thing. So the rabbis were wrestling this question, how can we know if we're hitting the bullseye of our relationship with God? And Kavanaugh literally means to hit the bullseye. Now, interestingly, in the Greek and Hebrew, uh, to, miss the, to, to, to sin means to miss the mark. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I don't need any training to miss the mark. I'm great at it. <laughs> I'm good at it too. It's my norm. Comes you know, natural. I'm always going to hit the mark. But the rabbis were saying, how can we hit the, hit the bullseye of our relationship with God? And they said, there's, there's, we bring our intentionality, but God, God is the one that makes it happen. He brings his active manifest presence to these four, uh, what I like to call intentionalities. The first one they said is that we understand and believe that God loves us extravagantly so much that it overflows that we love others extravagantly. But that's the, you know, friends, to me, that's the gospel. That's the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's all, that's all they were. We're in the new covenant now, and we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We understand the gospel. There's no greater expression of God's extravagant love than Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So when we understand that, we experience that love, and it causes us to share it. Just like Bob shared his love for Jesus with me, just like my mom's bartending friend, Nobody told her to go share the gospel. When she found out Jesus would forgive her, she went to tell another friend, just like the woman at the well. How long does it take her to become a missionary? About one minute. All she needed was forgiveness, and then she went and told her friends, right? So it's this extravagant love. God does all this. He loved us first, then we respond, and then we share it. The second thing was prayerfulness. Not just prayer, but prayerfulness. We find this in 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, 17, I believe, it says, pray without ceasing. So it was this ongoing conversation. It was never a checklist thing. Hey, I prayed this morning. See you tomorrow morning, God. Mm. You know, if I said that to my wife, we wouldn't have much of a relationship. Honey, I'm going to talk to you for three minutes now before I leave to go to work. I'll see you tomorrow morning too. It'll be great. <laughs> no, no. God's like, no, we're going to have this constant conversation. Jewish people were always meditating on scripture. They were always having a constant conversation with God. You see that, by the way, in, uh, 
in in much of the uh, you know the musicals that are built around Jewish culture and stuff. Uh, it's it's it's, it's, it's given me. I can't remember the musical where the the guy's always talking to God. Can you help me with that? What's the name of that musical? Fiddler on the Roof. Thank you so much. Oh, he's yeah. walking down the road and he's going, Lord, I only had one horse. Why did you let it be killed? That's kind of the whole ongoing conversation. And you see that there. And Jesus was always uh, engaging prayer. So you got extravagantly love to love others. You got prayerfulness. The third thing they said was all of life is worship. They knew uh, you know, there was a priestly class in Judaism. It was the Sanhedrin, it was the Pharisees, and it was the uh, Sadducees. And um, the Sadducees were kind of the liberals of the day. They didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in the whole Testament, just the Torah. Uh, and and then and they they were old money, so they didn't need to work. But uh, but the, the Pharisees, you know, they were like, you know, our people are are common folk. They're fishermen. They're shepherds. They cut stones. They they do work that, and they wanted to make sure that they understood something that I think we've kind of forgotten our culture, a theology of work. Sometimes I think we we make a great error when we communicate to people who aren't in full time ministry that if they really love Jesus, they would be in, they would quit their job and join a, a ministry full-time. You guys, I'm convinced that much of the ministry that's actually changing the world is happening on the backs of people who go to work somewhere outside of church and ministry. Yeah. And uh, I'm telling you, what they do for work, whatever they do, as long as it's a legal job, can be an act of worship. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, mm-hmm. work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. And that thing if you if you approach cleaning toilets as as an act of worship to god it changes who you are and how you influence other people uh and and then other words your whole life becomes an act of worship and i think we're really missing that and i love i love that kavanaugh includes this idea that i can farm for the glory of god i can shepherd for the glory of god i can be you know i can do i can I can cut stones for the glory of God. I can be a janitor for the glory of God. So that's huge. And the last one is study scripture to know God. And it's not study scripture to know theology. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference. Every pastor listening to us, every youth pastor listening to us, anybody who's ever been employed at a ministry will understand this. Some of the most biggest troublemakers in our local churches the people who cause the most trouble, some of the most bitter people I've ever met, actually can quote the Bible from cover to cover. So true. If your approach to the Bible allows you to be a troublemaker in ministry and to cause trouble and to be bitter, your approach to the Bible is wrong. That's not what's supposed to happen out of study in Scripture. Mm-hmm. You're studying theology, and uh, I love studying theology. But you, this is what they said. It's study scripture to know and love God. You're supposed to love God and love people more because you study the Bible. It's supposed to make you love God and love people because that's what you see in the scriptures. So those four things come to bear in Christian and disciple-making friendships. And so when we get together, that's what we do. We pray together. We study scripture together. We encourage one another in our daily activities as well as our work. And we bask in glory in the great love for God has for us. And we say, how is this overflowing to other people in our lives? 
It's that simple. Great Not really, I really appreciate that. Um, it's, you really help kind of bring some focus for me as I think about my own life. I think my marriage has been good because my wife and I don't just have set times to talk. We always are talking. You know, I think we've had great conversations with our kids, so our relationship is strong. And that prayerfulness piece, I think that's really powerful that, that having that unceasing conversation with God has some that and those all, all four of those are, are energizing to me and they're simple. So I appreciate that. And they're all uh, over the New Testament and Old Testament, aren't they? Yeah, they so let are. Me, let me say one thing real quick, quickly here for you, because um, I have not mastered any of this. You just need to know that. My marriage, when I learned about Kavanaugh, I'm like, do I have a Kavanaugh-filled relationship with my wife? No. How can we do ministry for 32 years together and I don't pray with her? Seriously, let's think about that for a moment. So you know what I decided to do? I'm going to pray for her every night before we go to bed. It's that simple. It lasts 30 seconds. Now, should we pray more? We're working on it. (laughs) Let me just tell you, I'm a work in process. My marriage is a work in process. My family's a work in process. My ministry, my neighborhood's a work in process. Yeah. I appreciate that. I think Sandra and I came to the same conclusion in our prayer. We were honestly felt guilty because we never prayed together earlier in ministry. And then we decided to make a commitment to pray every night before we go to bed. And sometimes it is 30 seconds. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's better than that. But praying a little bit every day is, is better than praying for 30 minutes once a year. So, <laughs> so true. So true. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, you know, you hit on multiplication earlier. And that, obviously that's foundational. And we hit that. But, you know, I think one of the first things we're going to hear if pastors try to think this through is, oh, yeah, but if I put people in these disciple-making friendships, then their friendships will become so strong they won't want to multiply. They'll just kind of keep to themselves. Help them have some wisdom for how to have those friendships and still see multiplication. Yeah, so a little saying we have, if those we disciple don't make more disciples, then we haven't made disciples like Jesus. I'll say it again. If those we disciple don't make more disciples, then we haven't made disciples like Jesus. And again, I want to keep coming back to Jesus. I love Jesus on so many levels, but Jesus actually expects every, uh, this is for everybody. This is for every volunteer. This is for every junior high student. This is for every senior citizen, whether you're in in a, a paid ministry or not. This is so critical. Jesus expects the weight of disciple making falls on every follower of Jesus. The Bible continually expects that if you are a follower of Jesus, you're going to make disciples who make more disciples. John 17, Jesus says, I pray not only for my disciples, but everyone who will believe through them. His expectation is that these disciples that he has aren't just going to collect all the great sayings of Jesus. They're actually going to make disciples. And Jesus, look, here we are to this day. God, Jesus prayed for you and me in John 17, 20. Isn't that beautiful? Mm -hmm. The writer of Hebrews is completely mystified. And he said, by the time you should be teachers, I have to go back and teach you all over again, he says in Hebrews 5, 12. Even the writer of Hebrews is saying, you have to become a teacher. Now, that doesn't mean you stand up and lecture, but that means you take what you've learned and you passed it on to others, right? Uh, so everybody has to do this. So can I just tell you a story to help answer that? Absolutely. So um, my kids are all from uh, nine years old to 30. Uh, it's a long story. We don't have, that's a whole nother podcast <laughs> uh, <laughs> because it's crazy. My whole life has been insane. I've never wanted a normal life and God has answered that prayer. <laughs> so all that to say, and I have seven of them in there. 
Uh, so all that to say, a lot of the kids in my first six kids, when they were teenagers, their their kids, because I've always been a youth pastor at Seoul, uh, so their friends become my friends. Some of the kids would come over and they're like, are you here for my dad or us? That's what they would ask the kids. And a lot of times they would say, your dad, I want to talk to your dad. So this young guy, 17 years old, who was a friend of my son's, he said, hey, Mr. Allison, I'd like to ask you a question. And I said, yeah, shoot, Jake. And he said, will you mentor me? And I knew, here's here, here's what I knew. I knew he would always see me at the top of the ladder and himself at the bottom of the ladder. And I said, Jake, I'm not interested in mentoring you. Now, I believe in mentoring. But with this kid, I didn't want a mentoring relationship. I wanted something different. He said, oh, I thought that's what you do. You mentor young people. And he said, I said, well, I do. But let me ask you this question. Jake, would you read the Bible? It was in December. I said, next year, I'm going to pick a Bible plan. Would you read it with me? He goes, I'd love to do that with you. I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. You read it. I'll read it. And whenever you want to come over, we'll wrestle scripture together. We'll study scripture to know God together. He said, I'd love to do that. So see, here's what I did. Instead of me at the top, I said, we're going to be friends. We're going to be, we're going to be, we're going to disciple each other. Now I didn't tell him that, but I knew I was going to learn as much as he did. So I just said, let's get together and read scripture. Let's Kavanaugh together, right? Let's do some Kavanaugh together. And so this is true. So then the last, he said, I said, let's do it. And then he goes, okay, great. And I said, well, one more thing. I said, Jake, if we learn something together, is there anybody in your life that you would share it with? Now, I want to show you what I'm doing here. If I didn't ask this next question, he would have gladly received all of what we were learning and never done anything with it. And here's what I said to him. Is there anybody in your life that if you learn something you can share with? He goes, I already got two other guys that I'm doing that with. I'd love to share what we learn with them. I said, great. Now, let me ask you this. Can you get one more person who's not a part of that group? I want to just challenge you to pray that God will give you one more person because I wanted him to get the, used to the idea that he's going to share. So we did this for about three, three or four months, and uh, I was invited to speak somewhere. And you know what I did? I pulled it holy holy. I just invited Jake to take a trip with me. I was going to speak four sessions uh, up in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And uh, I just said, come and, come and enjoy all the different things that are happening. These are kids your age. They're seniors in high school. I said, let's just enjoy that together. On the way up to Green Bay, I said to him, Jake, tell me stories of people that, of what we've learned together, studying the scriptures, how you've shared it with others. That kid went for 30 straight minutes, story after story. At, wow. at 10 minutes, the hair on my neck just stood up. Just like, man, it was like amazing. Wow. And I realized this kid was worth every minute I spent with him because he dutifully began to share all these things that he learned, even with his parents, he was sharing with some of these things. And he created this great dialogue for them. So what I did there was I negotiated up front with him, whatever we learn, we're going to be accountable to each other. What we learn, we're going to share it with others. So the first thing we did every time we got together was we would say, tell us, tell me stories about who you shared it with, because it can't just come in and then not go out. Yeah, that's good. That's good. 60 seconds, Bill. If someone wants to begin a disciple making friendship, where's a good place to start? The most important first step is the disciple maker's prayer. And I challenge them to pray the disciple maker's prayer. You can get it at the disciple, uh, disciple maker's prayer, disciple maker's prayer.com disciple maker's prayer.com. And he, I'd like to close. If you uh, share it with you, uh, we can do that right now or Absolutely. whenever you want in this. Podcast. Go ahead. Yeah. Here's what it says. Heavenly father. Thank you for giving me a disciple making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, 
Help me to love you and love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. Don't let me miss the adventures you are sending my way to live and speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw my heart to you and to specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you, loves people, and makes disciples, who make more disciples ad infinitum. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So kind of prayer God loves to answer for sure. Because it's all seven passages of scripture on the disciple's prayer. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. You uh, wow. You didn't just share information with us today. You shared what you live, how you live your life. Mm-hmm. I aspire. And, uh, it's it's uh, yeah. I I get it. We're yeah. all works in pro- progress, but uh, we appreciate you sharing it with us. Looking forward to having you in Nashville at Equipping You Council on Friday, June fourth. Can't wait. Yeah. So. Lord willing, and uh, COVID-19 goes away. Uh, We'll see you there. But thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate it very much. Thank you, and love and respect to the Christian Missionary Alliance. Man, so much joy and love and respect for you all. Thank thank you, you. Appreciate it. It's mutual. At the Copa, Copa Cabana. Hottest spot north of Havana. Well, and we need to uh, make this stop. Why does this keep happening every I season? Know. I don't understand. You say oh, Cabana? Oh, well, actually, I said Cabana. He said Kavanaugh. That was my error in this particular podcast. I try to make one every podcast. Well, but, you're faithful uh, at that. It's good. Good stuff from uh, <laughs> Bill Allison, yes. Uh, I love... The thing that sticks out to me in this uh, podcast, Alan, is Holy Ole. Yeah. Who's just a normal guy trying to do ministry in a church who takes a young guy under his wing and uh, disciples him. And that disciple has made disciples who make disciples R- really good, uh, really good stuff and says, hey, any of us can be influential leaders. Amen to that. You know, I think the thing that stuck out for me. It's not something that Bill said because there, I mean, there was tons that Bill said that stuck out to me, but it, it kind of reminded me is that I've talked to so many pastors in the course of my ministry time that they have straight out told me that no one ever discipled them. And that is heartbreaking here. We're supposed to make disciples, but you know, and obviously God has graciously given us lots of people that have hopefully influenced on our journey and contributed to our discipleship. But how many pastors I know that never had anybody walk with them through like Holy Oly did uh, for Bill. And yeah. uh, boy, that needs to change in the church for sure. And it's simple and we can take first steps. And I think a great first step, honestly, for our leaders is to go out and buy his book, Disciple Making Genius of Jesus. Because uh, again, that's also simple, which is not surprising. It's only, I think, 113, 14 pages long. Uh, and in light of Bill's heart, share it with somebody else. Don't just get the book for yourself. Right. Walk it through with somebody else so that you are actually, I think by reading that book with somebody else, you'd be starting a disciple-making friendship just like that. And don't just listen to this podcast yourself, but share it with someone else oh, as well. wow. Uh, how did you like that for a transition? That was a great transition. And uh, so share it on uh, Facebook, text a friend, tell a friend. Send smoke signals. We do not care how you share it. Just share it. Uh, And if it's helping you, let it help others as well. Hey, and rate it for us too. Wherever you listen to it, rate it because then that helps 
new people who we may not know find out about it. If we rate it, uh, then somehow that fits into the old algorithm world and, and they, it gets put in front of other people's eyes and they may discover the wisdom that we're discovering from our guests. Amen. And uh, any sentence that has algorithm in it is a great sentence, Alan. I'll remember that in my, all my preaching. There you go. All right. So until next time, we're glad you joined us this time. Amen. Meanwhile, keep the faith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.